you don't have a Bible this morning, raise your hand. Uh, someone will grab a Bible for you. Uh, uh, we want to make sure you have one in your hand. I will put most of the passages up, but we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And there's some kind of backdrop on why we're even doing this series. And so I want to kind of give you a little bit of perspective this morning to kind of give you some insight. And I think there's an issue of control. I mean, obviously, just what we had unfold there, the service is a little bit out of control. We don't have all of our time right. But I think as a parent, and maybe you parents could agree with me, there's probably never more this illustration of not being in control, because we like to be in control, than when one of your uh, children begin to drive. Amen? Yeah. So it's that first time that you've allowed son or daughter to slide into the driver's seat, and then you put yourself in the passenger seat. And that's when you discovered that there weren't brakes or a gas pedal on that side of the car, right? I, I remember one of the first times I went driving with our oldest, Lauren, a few years back, and I can remember, you know, as she was, you know, the joy of driving. It's just this new energy. And I remember she was driving, getting closer to the stop sign, and I said, stop. And we were getting closer, she said, stop. And I said, stop, stop, stop. And it got faster and louder. Stop, 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 stop. She slams on the brakes and then starts weeping. And I'm like, oh, this is a loss. I, how do I win? <laughs> we either die as we go through the stop sign and she loves me or uh, there's something about being out of control. And maybe a question for us that we kind of hold on to for the whole series is who really is in control of your spiritual life, of your life here on this earth? Scripture says that our world is not about flesh and blood, but it's about the rulers and the principalities. There's a spiritual battle going on for your life. The pull, the spiritual pull, every day as we do life, is out there. Most of us come from some sort of church background, and we're informed and behave often by that backdrop. If you see here on the left side, or at least my left, there, some of you have come from a church background of high order. That means you walked in and they, there were pews and nothing moved. They were bolted to the ground. And pretty much the service went that way where it was liturgy and the same things and there was things that you needed to say. And none of that is bad. But what you found, it was a high kind of sense of control. It more speaks to an intellectual kind of concept of faith and religion practice. And probably the impression there as you were either in great cathedrals or these very high-order environments, that God is this huge judge waiting to punish. And there's guilt and shame often associated with this. And again, these aren't necessarily bad. On the other side, though, some of you come from a very unpredictable church environment or faith practice, where you walked in and nobody knew what was going to happen this week. I mean, it's always going to be different. And so... There was a sense, though, of emotional expression. Maybe your backdrop is where if there wasn't tears or hand-raising or loud singing or stuff going on, God wasn't present. And so you found the service maybe more pleading to God as a friend and more trying to get God to respond as if we were kind of rubbing the genie in a bottle and saying, come on, God, come on. Both of those are pictures of our culture's way of trying to achieve control. We try to find control 
in this idea of the Spirit. And whether it's control, we want to put them together. And so, oh man, we don't want any expression of the Spirit. We want to kind of, he's an orderly God. That's a one that definitely order people want to put in play. But we also don't want to be a part of this trying to get God to do stuff for us. Paul in Ephesians will talk about this and he'll do it in in chapter 5. And he's he's going to address a culture that's finding um, lots of abuses in trying to control God. In this case, what they're trying to do is uh, they're, they're trying to get certain gifts that are expression gifts. Gifts that are seen and visible. And Paul will say in Ephesians 5, 18, he'll say, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In this passage you might have read before, and it's an interesting one, because Paul's telling people, uh, not necessarily stay away from alcohol, he's saying, don't be filled with wine. Why is he saying that? Because this idea of filled means, well, uh, is there like this literal kind of suggestion Paul's giving? No. The idea of filled means something different in that context. It means controlled. It means more of when you're filled with wine, you're probably controlled by it. So in other words, Paul's saying don't be controlled by anything else. Alcohol, drugs, anything else in your life, don't be controlled by it. And he's saying specifically, don't be filled up with something that's going to take over, but be filled up or controlled by the Spirit. Now you're going to find all throughout the Scripture, and we're not going to have enough time this morning, that's where we're going to spend a lot of weeks on this, that the Spirit has been left there for you. He, he is a third part of the Trinity for you to place, take residency in your life so that He might have control of your life. Now, there are some people say, well, He has control of my life, Troy, but it's, just, it's private. It's private. It's all in here. It's just me and God. Do you know not once that I have found yet in the Scripture is the expression and presence of the Holy Spirit in a life been just private. It has been an expression of some great act. Some great act of service, some great act of giving, some great act of loving, uh, forgiving. There is an expression, a healing, something that goes on. In other words, if we're a church that is filled with the Spirit, if we're a body of believers who are saying we want God to, to have control of our lives, and He's left us this Spirit to change us and to transform us, we'll start to see the change. Not only in our lives personally, but we'll start to see God do great things. A question I have for us, who's in control of your spiritual life? The Spirit or you? Who are you filled up with this morning? Some might find that they're filled up more with the pursuits of this world, of things of, that aren't bad, but when God says in the Old Testament, thou shalt have nothing else before me. Don't worship anything else higher than me. In other words, don't put anything else in the most control of your life. Let me take the throne of your life. When many of you came to Christ, you came to a cross claiming the sacrifice of Christ himself. But then he said, I'm going to leave you someone. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And I want him to take over. I find a lot of today, people come to Christ, they believe it. But then, it's I'm not letting the Spirit have control. He's a little dangerous. Who knows what I would do? 
Now, we're not talking about this morning like out of control, like me show up today and don't prepare anything and just stand up here and go, all right, whatever I'm going to get, I'm going to get right now. It's more of a call for us to ask ourselves, who's in control even in my preparation? Trish and I were talking about this, and being controlled or filled with the Spirit is, is something that doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're closing your eyes and waiting for certain words. It means in my preparation. It means in my conversation. It means in everything I do, I'm looking for a sense of what is God asking me to live like and to be. Tozer says it this way, I love his quote, it says, I remind you that there are churches so completely out of the hands of God that if the Holy Spirit withdrew from them, they wouldn't find it out for many months. I read this, and it sends a chill up my spine, but I don't know about you, but it does for me. As a pastor, oh Lord, can, can we get so religious and have our own liturgy? Because friends, we've changed the seating, talk about... It's easy for us to point fingers at other liturgies and they have tradition. Oh my gosh, there's a lot of shock in the room this morning. We have our own tradition, don't we? We have our own liturgy. I don't want to be a church that all of a sudden, wow, the Spirit's gone. Now we're claimed that the Spirit doesn't leave us and He is in our lives. We'll find out in weeks to come that we can grieve the Spirit, we can quench the Spirit, we can lie to the Spirit, We can try to hold back the Spirit. We can resist through sin, through rebellion, the Spirit's control and filling in our life. When you came to Christ, you got enough. The Spirit isn't a person that gets busted up into five parts, you know, and you get a little bit more. You have the fullness of the Spirit. And so when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, he's saying, let go and let Him start doing the transformation. We picked this illustration or this metaphor, hurricane, and here's why. How many of you have been around or in South Florida around for a hurricane? Anybody in here? Just wonderful things, right? They are the most devastating of natural forces known to man. Um, it has, they get classified when they exceed 74 miles per hour. It's about 300 miles in diameter. Now, a force that strong and powerful is not something that you can control. It's not like you're saying we can, we'll just avoid this, or you plan for a hurricane, right? It changes your life, hurricanes do. But we thought it was interesting because the idea of us moving to the center actually kind of came by accident, but the thought of being in the center, the eye of the hurricane, there's a stillness, isn't there? There's a stillness and almost an unawareness of what's going on around. When you're living in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. It is not something that you wield as if you have this great weapon. It is something you find that God's doing something through you and you can't even quite explain it. You see, the Spirit wasn't given to us so that we could get credit. The Spirit was given to us to transform us so that He might get the credit. Anyone, friends, if you don't get anything this morning, get this. Any church or gathering of people that begin to focus on themselves with the Holy Spirit, it is false. Because Scripture says very clearly that the Holy Spirit exists to transform us and exalt Christ himself. It's a hurricane when God 
is in a life, and he begins to do things all around that we can't even explain. There are three words that you need to know. One is theology. We've talked about that. That's a word thrown around. Theology means the study of God. The second, though, is Christology, and that means the study of Jesus. And now, pneumatology, which really we don't talk much about in the local church today. It's like a dangerous topic of like, wow, you start talking spirit, people are going to lay in the aisles and start doing crazy stuff. And you can see the extremes of the abuses. We don't talk about it at all, or we misuse and abuse the spirit. And this church, community church, has a history of like, we're a conglomeration of a lot of that right there of these extremes. We wanted to dialogue this. We wanted not only to talk about it, but really get a a clear biblical understanding. We know that in Scripture, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God is primary figure we see in the Old Testament with prophecy leading up to the, the coming of a Messiah, but the Spirit's work, man, you want to get crazy just perspective about the Holy Spirit, start reading Old Testament about the Holy Spirit. He is all over. He is residing in some, but until the death and resurrection of Christ, the blood of Christ, that we, it pays for our sin, he says, I'm going to leave you now someone, this spirit, and he is going to be doing the changing. How many of you feel that tension, or maybe even just that emptiness about your spiritual journey? You, you felt like, gosh, I, I, I'm attending a, a church service. I feel like I'm doing things because I think I'm supposed to. And I'm not sensing that life. I'm not sensing that joy. I'm I'm lacking that. And maybe this morning, for the first time, you're going to understand that it is releasing the control to the Spirit in your life. You see, you don't change your life. You don't overcome sin. Jesus paid for that sin, and the overcoming of sin comes from the Spirit's power in your life. We can talk about moving away from certain things, But the power to do that comes from the Spirit. The Spirit essentially is someone we need to not only talk more about, but surrender to. If we want to be a transformational church, both as we worship together and gather, but also in this community and in our families and our neighborhoods, we're going to have to learn as a church body to what it means to be Spirit-filled as a church body. And friends, that's not crazy extreme on either side. It is learning what it means to be transformed by the Spirit Himself. Jesus is going to, uh, in, in John, is going to give us a picture. Before that, a couple terms you need to know about the Spirit's kind of origin because Jesus is going to announce Him coming, but He's always been there. In fact, in Genesis, it says, one, in the beginning, God created the heavens And the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The word for the Spirit in the Old Testament is ruah. In the New Testament, it's pneuma and hagion. It's breath. It's wind. Talks about the breath of God breathing life into. And what a great and beautiful picture at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit will arrive to the church for the first time. And friends, we are not to try to duplicate the Bible in events. We have a narrative of Pentecost. We are not supposed to wait 40 days after Easter and all of a sudden wind will whip through here. God called us to look at that narrative, but God's Spirit upon salvation comes in 
and we see the wind of God begin to stir. And so this is the origin of the Spirit. He's always been from Genesis all the way through Revelation. We find His presence. His role begins to play a different part. Obviously, God in the Old Testament prophesying of Christ and the Spirit's work. We see Jesus present physically, God on earth, Emmanuel, that we just talked about at Christmas, and his death and resurrection that we'll celebrate weeks from now in Easter. But then he says, I'm going to leave one for you. That's where we're going to hit in a moment. Attributes of the Spirit, he's the third person in the Trinity. I talked about that. He communicates to believers. Some of you are looking for direction and guidance in your life. We'll talk about that in weeks to come. The Spirit gives guidance to you. That's why Jesus said at, the, at, his, at his time in this earth, there's no longer a priest needed to intercede for you. You have the Spirit in your life, and He will teach you all things, and He will grow you up, and He will put, as David says in the Psalms, a finger on anything in your life. He'll point out sin in your life. It says that He exalts the name of Christ, as I said before. It's not for me to say, look at the Holy Spirit in me and look what I have. Look what I'm doing. Friends, that's not the Spirit's work. He is all-powerful. He carries the attributes that God the Father and Son also have. And thirdly, He was given to us as a deposit. Jesus came to earth to live with us, but the Spirit was left to live in us. So John 14, Jesus is going to We're kind of left right here in this narrative picture. And it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so he's he's saying, I'm going to die. And he's telling this to his disciples who who have journeyed with him and seen miracles and have been changed. And he says, Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? If I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So great about this word place or room. It actually is not like an outer room. It actually is a different word. There's a couple different words for rooms, but this is interesting. The room means more referring to the Holy of Holies room, the most closest to God in the Old Testament. I prepare an inner room for you where you're going to be connected to the Father. Thomas says this, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? They take everything so literal. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, then you know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip says, again, literal, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Just give us a little bit of proof. Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip? He's trying to help them understand the idea of this Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, he says, don't you believe that I'm the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus just talking about the presence of God in his own life. This beautiful picture of Trinity. 
He says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Hey, we've done a lot of stuff in three years, four years. He says, look back on those and know that it's the hand of God. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. There it is. This statement that rings true for us even today. Those who believe in me will do works that I've been doing, healing, forgiving, life transformation, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. This is part of the plan. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son and you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And he finishes here. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. I love the order of this. He doesn't say, keep my commands and I will love you. He says, when you believe in me, the Spirit resides in you. God does something to your heart. And the priority list changes. And what you love most becomes me. And you want to obey me because you love me most. Friends, when we get it turned upside down, it's called religion. And when we feel guilt and shame that we're not doing enough for God, well, good for you because that's true. You're not. You never will. You can never do enough for God. It is why we celebrate communion and Easter and resurrection, the idea that Jesus paid the price. So it has been done for us. Our response is that we obey because we are in love with a God that would love us that way. That's why we read. That's why we listen. That's why we adhere. It says, and I will, give, I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Advocate. It's the Holy Spirit. It actually is the word paraclete and it means to, to come alongside. It means to, to almost like you're taking that runner. Remember in the Olympics a couple of times, I remember that one significantly where the son was that 200 meter sprinter and he pulls his hamstring. And remember the dad runs on the track and just beats down the security and just gets right next to his son. And as he's limping, he's, he's helping his son. Paraclete, advocate. It's not the spirit, hey, I'll call you up when I need you. Hey, Spirit, I'm in trouble right now. I need you. Yeah, I need you. It's, I'm going to be right next to you. I'll give you this advocate to help you and be with you. How long? Forever. The Spirit of truth says the world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. Friends, the first thing this morning that our whole focus in on this first Sunday and talking about spirit force, the Holy Spirit that's this just hurricane-like overwhelmness in a life is that He overwhelms your heart. It's one of the first things that, that the Spirit will do when you come to Christ. He will overwhelm your heart. I know that many of you have been Baptized in this room. If you were baptized here at Community Church, raise your hand. Just raise your hand. It's not because we put together a great profile of, you know, here's a good plan for you to get baptized, and it was just so motivational that you needed to do it. I would wager to say if we would bring you up here, essentially what we would hear 
I don't know why. I felt it was time, though. I just, I just wanted, in the deepest part of my heart, to love God that way and to tell Him how much I love Him. I want to do that. That's the Spirit, friends. Not us doing good things for God. The prophet Ezekiel gives these words. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, it says, and listen to this prophecy about the Spirit. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and I put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, the Father said, I need Jesus to come down and pay for sin. And we want to talk about the cost of our sin because we probably don't weigh that cost enough. Our sin is weighty. It deserves death. But Jesus pays that price and now He says, I'm going to do the switch out. I'm going to put a spirit in you that transforms you. That changes your heart. I was with Joe uh, and Arliss a couple weeks ago. Trish and I were and he was, we were talking about the Holy Spirit and he just said, Troy, tell me when you felt that heart transformation of recent. Man, and I was starting to think about that. When could I map these moments where I just sense, this is so not me, this is the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, it's times when I'm harmed or hurt or slandered by people. And I have to admit, it's, there's a frustration. I used to be a very angry person, but more and more, there's just a sense of love and forgiveness, even in the hurt that they bring. I can tell you, church, I don't have that in me. I can tell at times, wow, I, he's doing something because I just have some compassion for people. I'm feeling it more and more with people that don't know God and are in horrible areas of sin. Because I've recognized more and more as the Spirit has taught me, my sin, my thought, is as worst uh, is the same as anyone else down in a prison or not caught. No sexual sin, no sin could be measured greater than mine. Because of that, he's, my heart's changed. I, I long to love people that don't know him. God overwhelms our hearts, and so this book no longer becomes the rule book for me to look for all the rules and make sure that I'm following all the rules it becomes this beautiful story of a God that loves me and I want to know Him. I want to know Him. I, I want to please the Father. Paul will say in Timothy, he said, doesn't every soldier long to please his commander? I was in the military. I, I wanted to please the commander. I want to please him. And you know what pleases him? It pleases him when I follow him. It pleases Him when I, I keep in step with that Spirit, when I listen to the Spirit's work in my life. Paul will address this church in Galatia. And we get to see the, the outpouring of what he'll say is evidence of the life of the Spirit. When hearts are overwhelmed, when that hurricane force of the Spirit is in a life, he begins to change things and their outer things. 
Learning to forgive becomes so easy because you carry no bitterness, no matter how harsh you are treated. Learning to love people, learning to have peace and let go of anxiety becomes so natural. And listen to what he says. You, brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Friends, living in the Spirit is not a place of control, a place of, of shame or guilt. It is a place of freedom. He says, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed. He's saying, listen, a great expression of the Spirit in a church body will love one another. And we are hard to love, aren't we? I'm hard to love, and you're hard to love. In the midst of our families are hard to love. It's, and, and, and you might have a nice glittery picture of this, but relationships and people, we're messy and sinful and flawed, and we're going to hurt one another. That's the beauty of gathering here every week and claiming no perfect people allowed. We're, we're kicking all perfect people out. You're gone. He goes on and says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Some of you want victory over an addiction, over sin. You want a new freshness in your marriage. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Again, I'm not saying it's close your eyes and hold on here. It's let Him do the transformation in you. And what I've recognized, I can't change or fix people around me. My spouse, my kids, anyone. My responsibility is nobody in this room except me. Walking in the Spirit is working on Troy. Is listening to the Spirit what he has to do with me. He says, for the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So you are not to do whatever you want, but you're to be led by the Spirit. You're not under the law. How many of you feel the pull every week of being in conflict with the Spirit and your flesh? Anybody? Anybody like me in this room? Man, every week. Every week. And that's why we want to be a gathering of people that just proclaim the power of Christ. That's why the cross. If we could do it, why would we need Jesus? If we could do it, why would we even gather? We're remembering a false lie, a fool. Jesus would be a fool. So would God. The beauty of the narrative, the story of Christ, is that he had to because we needed it. We could not without him. He came to live with us and so that the Spirit might live in us. He finishes up and says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. He goes through this list of things. And friends, I'm... I do not want to be about a church body, and I know you don't either, that just spends all its time pointing out what everybody else is doing wrong. The spirit in the life, this is for us to look at and look at our own lives. This is not the fruit of the spirit, but it's not for us to figure everyone else out. The spirit calls us to look inward at our own soul and our own war that's waging. So he finishes up here, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Love. I don't care if you're calling out someone in sin that's a brother or sister in Christ and you, you want to sit down with them. If it's not done in love, it's not done in the Spirit. 
if anything is a marker to a body of Christ that's surrendering, is one of love. Loving our community, loving those people that don't know God, loving those people in it, and love. You will not be held accountable for the person you're sitting next to. You're held accountable for you. It says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against other things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Don't you want to see freedom in your journey? Don't you want to be a part of, of a gathering wherever what it is, and no matter where the stage is, but, but a gathering where people are, we're seeing the Spirit transform people. I do. And whether it's healings, whether it's amazing forgiveness stories, whether it's losing the, the desire for certain addictions, I've talked to several of you that would say, I don't know what happened. But I decided to follow Christ and the, that desire went away. That doesn't always happen. There, there are things that are unexplainable sometimes with the Spirit, but there is a sense that He overwhelms a heart and there's a releasing of that control. Who's in control of your spiritual journey this morning? God said, I sent my Son to die for your sin. And then Jesus, my Son, will leave one that will allow you to do greater things than he. Not to exalt yourself, but Christ himself, and it's the Spirit. Have you allowed the Spirit to fill your entire life? What are you holding on to this morning? What has control of your life? Is it a sin? Is it a relationship? Is it a pursuit of something that you think is greater than God himself? I sense this morning... God's asking all of us to, to let go. To, to open up those hands, as Bobby even suggested, and Bobby's going to come up in a minute, and is, is it just to let go? And maybe as you go to the cross this morning and you start to take that bread and that cup, it represents a price paid for you, but not so that you would sit and control your own life. He paid that price so the Spirit might live in you and transform you. Father, as we sang these song, this song, God, will you, will you fill this place, this atmosphere? Will you, will you make our hearts so much more receptive and open to letting go? God, will you take control of this church body collectively? We surrender it to you, Father. We want you to be the leader of this church and the spirit to, to transform our body. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who paid this price that we might have the spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.